BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. All right, Ben, stop eating your bagel. It's time to go. <laughs> so good. I kind of like the uh, cinnamon raisin bagel better. Just throwing that out there, all right? Oh, okay. A little bagel debate today mm-hmm. on the program. What's the best bagel out there? Just saying. What, Just saying. What's the, what's the best bagel ever? Ever? Ever. Oh, uh, but the Bialy, uh, New York uh, Bagel and Bialy's on uh, I Dempster. mean, like a flavor of bagel. I, um... I just like a plain bagel, man. A plain bagel. Yep, plain bagel. Yep, I'm old school. But well, that's it. Take school out of that sentence. <laughs> <laughs> Am I Good right? One. Good one. Live stream audience, what's the best bagel out there? All right, we're going to uh, go ahead and get the... Well, I know all of you listening are dying to know what the song of the day is, so let me just get the sponsor read out of the way, all right? Your Ben Jaromsky Show for Tuesday, January 28th. It's just moments away, but before we get into that, we need to thank the following unions for jumping on board and sponsoring this program. Oh, okay, the bagel debate is going on on the live stream, by the way. We'll uh, read the bagel results once we get going on the show. Uh, the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8, sponsor this program, as well as the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, and, of course, today's Ben Jarofsky Show for Tuesday, January 28th, apparently brought to you by bagels, <laughs> is brought to you also by our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Ben Jarofsky, let's hear that song of the day. Hot too hot. Does anything last forever? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe we're near the end. Woo! <laughs> I'm speechless. The Ben Jarofsky Show starts now. It is Tuesday, January 28th. And live from the Chicago Sun-Times, Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, yes, our Chicago Reader colleague, Maya Dukmasov, is back. Our good friend, Mark Sims, returns to the program. He always brings snacks. And we welcome back congressional candidate, Keena Collins. And now your host, every now and again, it brings a bagel. <laughs> Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Tur- Turbulent Tuesday, and here's why. What a weekend. You have a good weekend day? Yes, I did. That's what I like to hear. Days wow. ago. <laughs> anyway, great. A lot, so much happened this weekend. Good, bad, mostly bad. But let's talk about some of the good. Uh, saw a great movie. I urge everybody to see Just Mercy, Jamie Foxx, uh, Michael B. Jordan. Great movie can't say it enough now norm at bowling always gets mad at me when i give away too much of a movie i'll just say it's a real indictment of our criminal justice system great acting run don't walk to see it watch the grammys on sunday night wish i hadn't i'll tell you what one word fixed rigged never gonna watch the grammys again (laughs) that's a whole other story (laughs) you'll be watching it next year (laughs) let's see what mark sims has to say about the grammys anyway uh, grammy gate uh grammy gate um and uh the sad part of the, the weekend for me was of course um 
uh, was on Saturday or Sunday. I was uh, uh, talking to somebody on the phone, interviewing a Bernie Sanders delegate, as a matter of fact, uh, going about talking about the the delegate selection process when all my friends started texting me that uh, to cheer that Kobe Bryant uh, died. And of course, I was absorbing the horrific news uh, about the helicopter accident in Southern California where nine people died, including Kobe Bryant and his 13-year-old daughter, uh, Gianna. Hit me a lot harder than I ever thought it would hit me. I was never a huge Kobe Bryant fan, to put it mildly. I'm a Bulls fan. I hated the Lakers always rooted against Kobe Bryant and the Lakers, but uh, came to love Kobe Bryant for the ferocity and the greatness of his game and uh, how much he brought to basketball, my favorite sport. Uh, But the part that really got to me is the connection between Kobe Bryant and his daughters, particularly Gianna and any father out there who has coached his daughters in sports realizes it's a bond that's really deep and really meaningful and it stays with you for your whole life and the connection that the fact that his daughter and her friends died in a helicopter accident with him while they were heading off to a basketball game just the connections of the sport and the relations between daddies and their daughters i don't know it just really stuck stuck with me still sticks with me i think about it uh i find myself really grieving and mourning and on the brink of tears that said that said I am now going to divert awe and change my grief into a little bit of irritation or even almost anger at the Washington Post. I don't know if you've been following the story. It's, it's been sort of lost in the general hubbub over uh, uh, Kobe's death and the helicopter accident. Uh, Felisa Sanmez, who is a, a reporter for the Washington Post, was punished for a tweet she uh, sent out. Uh, she sent out a tweet. Uh, uh, she was retweeting somebody else, and it was uh, there was a link to an article about uh, the rape trial that Kobe Bryant was involved in. Nobody's perfect. Uh, it's the, the arc of a life, as somebody once uh, wrote. Uh, it can take you many different directions. Kobe Bryant uh, went through. He was charged with rape. Ultimately, uh, the case was thrown out. He had a settlement. Uh, this is back in 2004 or five. I want to say. Uh, he's gone on to live an exemplary life, as far as we can all tell. Before that, he had an exemplary life. Uh, But this happened. And uh, Felisa Sonmez, who from the Washington Post, uh, retweeted a tweet. And for that, she was uh, ripped on Twitter by Kobe Bryant fans. They said a lot of mean, nasty things about her, a lot of violent things about her. Uh, And then the ultimate uh, put down her own boss, Marty Baron, the uh, head of the Washington Post, uh, sent her a message saying, um, uh, what did he say? uh, uh, I'm trying to get the the exact right... uh, Oh, he accused her of hurting this institution by doing this. Uh, You are hurting this institution by doing this. Marty Baron, that's the boss. Now, look, as I said before, uh, I grieved the deaths of all the people in the helicopter. I'm still mourning over it. Uh, I have a really deep connection to, uh, in my mind, to the sort of the relationship between Kobe Bryant and his daughter. And and, um, it's really hard for me to deal with. That said, come on, Marty Baron. I mean, that's ridiculous. What, now reporters don't have the right to tweet things out? Now you're just governing the life of reporters? If, 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 if it's like too late, if, I mean, if it's too early for the reporter to tweet out, then just get them off social media altogether. That's what social media is. It's people responding in real time. I stay off it by, by and large. It's a joke around here. I'm the old guy. I don't really like Twitter. But 
It's what runs the world these days. Our president is constantly tweeting. I'm sure the Washington Post has social media people out there right now who are encouraged, who are constantly generating tweets, try to get people to to follow their Twitter handles and all that. And you're you're punishing Felice Sanchez because what? She was too soon. I mean, not everybody's going to have the same reaction to a news story out there. What what are you, the police, the Twitter police? Ridiculous, man. Look, either get all reporters off social media altogether or let it go. I mean, when I think of all the outrageous bile that's on social media these days, racist, sexist, anti-Semitic, anti-Muslim, when I think of it all that's out there, she got punished for this. Ultimately, he suspended her. She got, she got punished for retweeting uh, a tweet of a, a previous article that talks about something that's historically accurate and factual about Kobe Bryant's life. Give me a break, Marty Baron. You should be ashamed of yourself. Look, take it from a guy who's openly grieving over what happened this weekend. Our First Amendment rights to free expressions don't end when we're mourning. We got a great show today, everybody. Maya Dukmasov will be here. I wonder what Maya has to say about all this. She's got a lot on her mind, I know. Uh, I'm going to ask her. I sent her a copy of, uh, of the article about the the reporter getting uh, suspended. Um, she also, I'm sure she's going to want to a, a weigh in on the Kim Fox stuff that's about blowing up in the world. I think Dr. D has something, one or two things to say about that. Mark Sims will be here. The legendary Mark Sims will be making his return. Cannot wait to get Mark back in the studio. Uh, as Dennis says, not only does he bring great talk and great thoughts, but he brings food. Oh, I can't wait. That gets... Yeah, he says that, but you should hear him. If some a guest dares to eat some of Mark oh, Simpson, stop, leave, <laughs> poor Adolfo, get that out of here. Last time he brought those delicious, uh, what are they called, like Bativa or something cookies? Oh, they were so good. Wait, didn't who was it? The one that brought the um, uh, the nuts. What? Yeah, somebody, I guess. Oh, the, uh, Leonard, Goodman. Pist- oh that Leonard Goodman. Leonard Goodman got us pistachios oh, for man. the holidays. <laughs> I ate the, oh, I woofed those things <laughs> the down. The doctor was chowing down. Ooh, Leonard, boy. next time you come, bring more of the pistachios. Ooh, all right. Boy, I ate a lot of those. Keita Collins running for Congress in the 7th Congressional District. She'll be in as well and see what she has to say about all the, the news of the day. But before we get into that, the man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois, the man they call Dr. Doobie with the news how's it going everybody happy tuesday all right before we find out and talk about everything happening in chicago and or illinois this afternoon people we need to unpack monday's editorial board meeting Mm. yes we had a primary election board meeting and ben listen to all these words i'm about to say it was a chicago tribune cook county state's attorney candidate editorial (laughs) board meeting yeah, a lot in that sentence. All four candidates were present. Incumbent state's attorney Kim Fox, Bob the Runner Fioretti, he runs for a lot of stuff. <laughs> Donna Moore. Ben, what do you know about Donna Moore? Uh, other than the fact that I went to high school with her older brother. Okay, besides that, uh, okay. yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, she is a corporate lawyer. She ran last time against Kim Fox. And uh, she finished second, I want to say, in that election. I'm doing this off the top of my head. And, uh, you know, so she figures she's got the name recognition, and so she'll go at it again. And this time, she's going to play up big, Jesse Smollett-Gate. So we had Kim Fox, Bob Fioretti was there, Donna Moore was there, and finally, (laughs) I've come to learn in covering this election that this candidate is a bro. (laughs) A bro with a lot of money. He's Bill the Bro Conway. Oh, yeah. (laughs) 
And surprise, surprise, during this editorial board meeting, Jesse Smollett came up a lot. Uh, in your own digital advertisement, you acknowledged mishandling the prosecution of Jesse Smollett. And you said, the truth is, I didn't handle it well. Why is this a forgivable failure? And I mean a lot. <laughs> Wait, who was asking that question? John Cass was present at the uh, editorial board meeting, Ben. Was that Jump Shot Johnny asking that question? That wasn't John Cass, uh, but this is. There's 700 lawyers in the state's attorney's office. There are 500 in the attorney general's office. The attorney general by statute represents, uh, should be representing you. So why stick the taxpayers with the bill? For those who may be new to the program, John Cass, kind of a reoccurring character on this program, isn't he, Ben? Yes, he is. Uh, jump shot Johnny Cass is the far right. He's so far right, he falls off the planet. <laughs> Columnist uh, for the Chicago Tribune. Loves Donald Trump. And I've been trying to get an interview with him on this show, but every time Ben talks about this guy, he just ruins it. Oh, my God. John Cass loves Donald Trump. He's got a MAGA hat, all right, and a MAGA hat tattoo. Okay, I do not know if he has either one of those, but uh, I imagine he does. He loves Donald Trump. And uh, like many uh, people of the right-wing persuasion, he's absolutely outraged. Outraged, I tell you, by Smollett-gate. Cannot believe this miscarriage of justice, okay? Uh, but meanwhile, when it comes to Donald John Trump, and his extortion of Ukraine, the Ukrainian president, uh, denying him the money that Congress allocated. I don't know. Hey, who knows? One guy says this. The other guy says not so much. Outrage. More outrage at the prosecutors. Don't, why are you wasting our time? This is all political. I just look for a little consistency. If you're outraged by an absolute nothing crime in the city of Chicago and think that the taxpayers have to be protected, and the public has to be protected, and truth and justice has to be protected. Why are you outraged by what going, what's going on in Washington? I, don't, I can't see. You can't see because your eyes are closed. So for those listening who uh, are wondering about this editorial board meeting and care about, like, I don't know, issues, well, if you listen to this video, just skip about 18 minutes in. They talked about Smollett for like 18 minutes. Smollett gate. Oh, my goodness. Uh, but, We're going to be talking about it today with uh, Maya, I'm sure. I'm sure we are. <laughs> so uh, we had all that going on. About 18 minutes worth of uh, just Smollett going back and forth. Kim Fox, the Tribune. Just, I mean, I can't believe it. What's going on here? We're outraged. I've oh never seen God. anything quite like this. Uh, what about uh, the Trump? I'm sorry, I don't see anything. Who? What's that guy's name again? So it's between the Tribune and Kim Fox there for about 18 minutes. Then finally, <laughs> finally, Bill the Bro. <laughs> Bill Bro weighs in, Conway. Bill yeah. the Bro weighs in. But what upsets me the most is the unequal justice involved here. You know, I have a client, Candace Clark, who was charged with filing a false police report around the same time as, as Mr. Smollett. And not nearly as egregious a set of facts as his. And we go to court every month. Uh, she visits a probation officer every month. She has to maintain a job. If she doesn't, she has to do community service. She has to be enrolled in GED classes. If she wants to leave Cook County, we have to go to court and get permission of a judge to do that. And the, and the fact of the matter is, the reason my client got one deal and Mr. Smollett got another is because he's politically connected. And that's not right. Ms. Respectfully, I, without having to speak to his client, and I'm assuming that he got her permission to talk about it, um, Mr. Conway is leaving out his client's background, which would suggest why she was given the conditions that she was given. My client has, no back, has, has never the had any contact with the criminal the justice system. The background of this case 
and how this case, his client's case, could have been resolved outside of the criminal justice system totally. I of course asked for 16 in. hours of community service for this for my client, and that was and that was denied by your office. Because you gave unequal justice to my client, and your, that's not right. Your client had an opportunity to not have her case come into the criminal justice system at all before you got involved, Mr. Conway, and I'm sure you know that. I, that's not the case. This, I mean, you charge my client with what you charge my client because with. Because your client chose you not gave, to participate in a. Your client and I asked chose my client not to get to 16 hours of community service, and you and your office did not allow that, Ms. even though it's not. Okay, Mr. Conway, thank you. while I, I both major him. points. Thank oh. you, Ms. Moore. <laughs> Mr. Jarofsky? Hey, uh, we talked about that client and what went down with that client, and it's pretty obvious that there was a double standard of justice. And uh, Justice Smollett got a deal that uh, Bill Conway's client didn't get, and that is at the heart of what is so what stinks so much about Justice Smollett. That said, I'll say this one more time. This has become a political uh, football in a larger game that has absolutely nothing to do with the state's attorney's race. And so it's really hard for me to join the chorus against Kim Fox when I realize that the, many of the same singers in the choir will not join me in my condemnation of Donald John Trump. So it's just a fact. It's like, oh, Democrats in Cook County, good liberals in Cook County are supposed to what? uphold the highest standards in every single case, in every single instance, but Republicans don't. It's one more example, D. We talk about it all the time, the double standards. Republicans in Illinois, when it comes to Illinois, they want a fair map. Oh, God, we have to have a fair map. Too much power in the hands of Michael Joseph Madigan. Oh, my God. It's like the Republican voters downstate don't get the representation they need. But then when it comes to Wisconsin and Michigan, <laughs> they fight fair maps. So what is it going to be? And is it, is it going to be, you're going to be, do you have a principle that you abide by? Are your beliefs rooted in like consistent themes? Or are these just political tactics and games that you need uh, to undercut the left and help Donald Trump get reelected? So that's what I'm saying. I'm not, I'm a little reluctant. Yeah, it was double standard. Yeah, something smelled there. Yeah, Kim Fox shouldn't have made the phone call. Absolutely. But are you going to also have indignation toward what Donald John Trump's doing? Can't have it both ways, Republicans. That's all I'm saying. All right, so we're now 20 minutes into the Chicago Tribune editorial board meeting with the Cook County State's attorney candidates. It's a mouthful. <laughs> And we're still talking about Jesse Smollett. It's Donna Moore's turn, and she's got something to say about the issue. I, I have a lot of questions. Look, as state's attorney, you are judged by how you handle the big cases, whether they be violent or not. And if you blow a big case, the public questions your judgment. In this case, we do know a few things, separate and apart from Dan Webb's investigation. We know that there were emails from her, uh, Ms. Fox's head of appeals that said, you can't just do a colloquial recusal. You have to recuse the office. You can't just recuse yourself. We know that there were texts and emails from interested non-parties to this case where there were discussions and improper discussions about this case and about what to do with this case. That much we know without the Webb report. The Webb report, you know, it's hard to believe that we have a sitting state's attorney that herself is under investigation. But I don't understand, to pick up on what Mr. Cass said, is 
there's no case against the office. Yes, in civil cases, the office has the ability to go out and hire a lawyer with the approval of, of uh, the litigation division of the Cook County Board, which I don't believe was done in this case. And, and there's other issues with, with that. But they hired a lawyer at above the county rate to do what? If we're going to be open and transparent and cooperate with Mr. Webb's investigation, why aren't one of the lawyers in the office handing over the documents? Absolutely. Listen, Kim Fox is on the ropes. Kim Fox uh, has handled this thing wretchedly from the get-go. And uh, there's no doubt about that. It all began with that phone call she made uh, on to uh, Eddie Johnson. You know, I, that's the part that always uh, trips me up. That was like at the first stage of the investigation when Jesse Smollett's family wanted the case moved from the uh, uh, the um, the local investigators, the Chicago Police Department, to federal investigators, the FBI. So yeah, she's got a lot to, uh, to answer for. But uh, you know what? I'm just pointing out the inconsistency here. Everybody sees this as an opportunity to win, uh, to defeat Kim Fox, become the state's attorney. And uh, I just did not see the same outrage. I did not see the same indignation. We'll go back to it. When the state's attorney's office looked the other way, when the police department looked the other way, when uh, it was Mayor Daly's nephew uh, who killed a kid with a fight in the, the Gold Coast. So I'm just saying there's double standards in Cook County. There's double standards in Chicago. And there's double standards when it comes uh, to the Tribune's editorial board and their columnist outrage toward uh, Kim Fox as opposed to Donald John Trump. So again, if you're going to be consistent, be consistent. If you're going to denounce Kim Fox and point out all the inconsistencies in her defense and her argument, do it to Donald John Trump. Don't run away from that one. Do it to Richard Daly's nephew. Don't run away from that one. Don't look for the easiest target you have that you think will enable you to score points, get elected, and get your president, Donald John Trump, reelected while voiding all the principles that you supposedly believe in. That's all I'm saying, D. Be consistent, all right? Don't like, oh, I'm. this is an easy fight for me to win, so I'm going to go there while you look the other way at Donald John Trump. Where were these? Where were all these voices of outrage when the police department and the Cook County's state's attorneys were bungling the, uh, the investigation into Daly's nephew? Where were they? I didn't see any of them. Oh, there they were under the table. Oh Dave. man, that table. <laughs> where everybody else is. So that you know, a lot of Republicans under that table. A lot of Republicans hiding out. Ugh, they're outraged. This is the greatest outrage they've ever seen. Never seen anything like it. Oh, Meanwhile, I thought that was a MAGA hat under there. That was a bull's hat. Meanwhile, Sorry. Donald Trump's got rape allegations again. Well, it's a he said, she said thing. Come on, Ben. Let's talk about Kim Fox. All right, so we've heard from two of Kim Fox's opponents and their views on Smollett Gate. We got one more candidate left. <laughs> you're right. Save the best for last? I don't know. It's a question. Still not sure. Ben Jarofsky, you're going to have to help <laughs> us out here. Bob the runner. Bob, fear ready. Thank you. Oh, uh, first of all, again, I think when we look at this case, three things stand out. One, whether or not uh, a phone call helped uh, make the investigation. Secondly, uh, when we the recusal aspect is troubling, I think for everybody, uh, and what was said here. And third, when we look at it, Jesse Smollett was treated differently. No, everybody uh, can't admit that. Is that it? Is that it for Bob? But wait, Boy. there's more. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> What's so funny? But wait, there's more. 
Can't wait. <laughs> Bob didn't try to make it his moment, all right? We're about uh, 23 minutes into this interview, and all Bob's right. like, all right, here's my time, baby. He gets, uh, he grills Kim Fox. My question for the uh, state's attorney, is she, is she going to recuse herself now from the case where her campaign chair slash treasurer has been arrested? And will she uh, step aside in that case? It's as simple as that. And she was arrested, what? I don't know, last week sometime uh, on uh, what, what has happened in another election matter. So it, uh, I'd like to know what she's going to do in that case. Response? She no longer works for the campaign. And she's taken her name off of everything? Okay. And are you, and are you going to recuse the yourself? The Attorney General's office will be handling that case. Okay. And it's been sent over as of today? Uh, yep. <laughs> the Attorney General's office was made aware of that oh, case God. immediately upon her arrest. Thank you. We're going to move on to some other issues. Kristen? I just All right. Strike one, <laughs> if you're ready. Didn't get the response he was looking for, I, did I, he, Ben? I have a, an acknowledgement to make here. All right. I've said it before. I'll say it again. I have a bias when it comes <laughs> when it comes to Fioretti. Fioretti, you know, everybody makes fun of him because he keeps running for different offices. All right. So let's see if we can do the Cook County Board he President. He keeps running. Yeah, he keeps running. Everybody's running. making running. fun of Fioretti. All right. <laughs> We're all making fun of Fioretti. But Bob Fioretti, at a, I mean, here's my bias, Maya, at a crucial moment, an investigation of TIFFs, really helped me out by giving me some <laughs> TIFF documents. So I always am grateful to him for that. All right. I so. have a feeling that if you do a favor for Ben once, <laughs> like, that's it. He'll, no matter what you do after that, he'll just keep repping your good reputation you, go. you can commit any kind of crimes well, okay. do just about anything wait what crimes <laughs> no about no i'm kidding yeah. but. but the point is well taken i am very loyal that is true it's gonna be like very five loyal. politicians lined out of your yeah. house waiting to get but, the groceries yeah, can I help you? <laughs> but uh so you know i always throw that out there well you know fear ready really helped me with that tiff story uh way back it was only 10 years ago by the way so the statue of limitations <laughs> on helping me loyalty is maybe i'm too loyal uh my you're right. But uh, anyway, so I always throw that out there with Bob Fioretti. Got a soft spot in my heart. And he helped. Another thing he did, one time he got me an autograph from Bo Bobby Hall, the Golden Jet. So that's a whole other Ooh, long story. Hang tight, millennials. Yeah, I know, millennials. There's a picture of Bobby Hall out, right outside our studio. Anyway, so every time I oh, hear that's Fioretti. that's who that is? Yeah, that's. And so, you know, everybody dumps on Fioretti, makes fun of him, this, that, and the other thing. But I'm like, you know. I don't know. Push came to shove, and everybody was hiding under the table, afraid of Richard M. Bailey. Uh, Fioretti stepped up. It's so. kind of punching down to make fun of Bob Fioretti. I think that's why you're def you defend him too. Yes, that's the other thing. I it's like, oh, it's so easy. You're right. That's a good point. <laughs> so everybody, <Poor> Bob. <laughs> yeah, everybody makes fun of Fioretti. Oh well, he can't. He doesn't have the power to come after me. Uh, but you know, let's see him speak up. Let's say Lori Lightfoot. You know, you ever notice how uh, when it comes to Lori Fioretti? Well, you know, she's really doing X, Y, Z because they're afraid they're gonna yell. She's gonna yell at But everybody picks on Fioretti. Yeah, if you ever see a candidate uh, with uh, running shoes on, that's Bob Fioretti. He loves <laughs> running. Okay, so <laughs> we heard from the candidates. All They talked all their opinions on Smollett. You think it'd be a great time to move on, right? Mm. Oh, no, more Smollett. <laughs> 25 minutes into this thing. Here we go. In your ad when you say, I made mistakes, yeah. is, and I just want to go back to what Eric was saying, the mistake was lack of communication. Does that mean if this case went through the system exactly the way it did before, you also would, you would have gone with 16, you would have gotten a 16 count indictment and then dropped charges. You still think that was the appropriate response to this case? 
I'm not playing the answer because it's just repetitive who's, over and over again. Who's asking the question? Not sure who that was. But we got Eric Zorn. Our good friend Eric Zorn was uh, there yeah, as well. I read his column today. He's and, outraged too. And yeah, 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 that Smollett as well. At all. Because you're, I mean, again, I'm saying it feels to me like you're hiding behind this investigation. Nothing stops you today from telling us what happened. It doesn't get in what? the way of Dan Webb if you tell us the truth. I, actually, I've continued to tell high visibility where people were like i don't understand what happened here this doesn't seem right this is my is dying from, to say no I just, i'm ahead. sorry <laughs> i just i'm really coming on the segment too early but this was this this was footage from the uh the Chicago, oh so the first question was being asked by Kristen mcquery mm-hmm. that's who that was okay uh, cool, cool. I, Zorn, I don't yeah. know i do not well, I she can't. knows her chicago journalist no i'm yeah, pretty sure that, that I'm, I'm 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 ready to bed you bob fioretti's running shoes that was Kristen mcquery <laughs> okay <laughs> Uh, he be. needs those. I so. don't know. I, I could. I didn't even know which one was Cass until uh, Dennis pointed out Cass. I can't wait to hear the Chicago Tribune editorial board uh, interrogate Donald John Trump. Tribune board uh, editorial boardsters. I'll believe your outrage at Kim Fox when I see the same outrage applied to Donald John Trump. Now, Just say. Now he's becoming a new reoccurring character here on the Ben Jarofsky show. A lot like John Cass, this Conway feller. Oh, build a bro. Build a bro. A little later on, we get to know. The bro. So later on, we'll try and play some audio from Bill Conway talking about his campaign. All right. Uh, Maya's dying to say something. So <laughs> why don't we take a break? We'll come back and hear everything Maya has to say. I know she's got a lot to say on this. We'll be right back. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food. Arts and entertainment. Weekly concert listings. Weekly event listings. The environment. Travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader. Free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Did you know that 40% of the people in Illinois opt to be cremated? Well, it's true. And Chicagoland Cremation Options honors their wishes by providing cremation services directly to the general public. Chicagoland Cremation Options provides an affordable, ethical, and easy cremation arrangement, whether in person or online. Save thousands and streamline the process by going directly to Chicagoland Cremation Options. It's a family-owned business operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. Here's how you reach them. ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. One more time. Chicago LandCremationOptions.com. Commercial break over. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun Times. Maya is so fired up; she's ready to go. Before we do, I just want to uh, before we let, let you loose on the issue of Kim Fox and uh, the Tribune's editorial board and all that stuff. Uh, let's promote first uh, first uh, Tuesday, right? Yeah, it's yeah. a week. Let's remind people. Yeah, in one week, mm-hmm. we're going to be at the hideout. And where is the hideout? You tell them. <laughs> you tell them the address, Ben. Thirteen fifty four West Wilbonsia. Six thirty p.m. <laughs> Bob Mueller's going to be there as usual. Six thirty p.m. This will be the night after the Iowa caucuses. Mm-hmm. The night after the Iowa caucuses, we will know the truth about you know who's who's out there really really swaying the electorate and we're going to have our great debate show with alderman carlos ramirez rosa who's a delegate for bernie sanders 
And Cook County Commissioner Brandon Johnson, who's the delegate for Elizabeth Warren, we're going to be having a debate, discussion about the issues, about the candidates, about the similarities and differences between them, and more importantly, uh, what they see as a you know the as the possible winning strategies for progressive left candidates in in 2020, both at the presidential level and locally as well. And I just want to make a quick clarification, Carlos. Uh, I've over the weekend I took the deep dive in the delegation process. Neither Carlos is not yet a delegate for Bernie Sanders. He probably will eventually be, uh, but at the moment he's not officially a okay. delegate. But just whatever. But they're, they're proxies for these campaigns. Yes, they're yes. both actively involved with Thank each you. of these respective campaigns. It's not just an informal type of I'm supporting this candidate. They are lending their support Ex- and exactly. endorsement to these candidates and doing work for them. I know Carlos has been going to Iowa to, to, to canvas and all of that. And Brandon has come on this show several times uh, to speak from his heart about why he supports Elizabeth Warren. They're both uh, articulate, powerful speakers who feel very strongly in favor of the candidates that they support. And you're absolutely correct, Maya, when you point out it'll be the day after Iowa, so we'll have a greater sense. Uh, it. Let's face it, no matter what happens, it'll just raise the stakes in New Hampshire mm-hmm. because uh, if, if, if Elizabeth Warren wins Iowa, then Bernie will really have to do well in New Hampshire mm-hmm. and vice versa. So yeah. uh, it's going to be a great night. Yeah. Show up. I'm excited about it. 1354 West Wabonzia, 6.30 p.m. A week from today. $5. $5. And where can people get tickets? They can also get tickets uh, if you go to the Hideout website. You, there's a ticket link there. The First Tuesday's Facebook page, which is now up. The Hideout's Facebook page through Eventbrite. Just, you know, it's not hard to find. Yeah. So, so there you go, everybody. It's going to be a great time. All right. Excellent. All right. Now uh, let's get uh, back to your thoughts uh, on what's been going on with Kim Fox, State's Attorney Kim Fox and Smollett Gate. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I uh, am 100 percent with uh, Chicago's uh, Chicago's very own e-viewing on this. Um, she tweeted out uh, something uh, last night that I feel like really captured the essence of this issue. And um And I'm just going to read her tweets because I feel like she says it better than I ever could. And I think that for those who haven't thought about this perspective, it's important to do so. So here's what she tweeted. She said, I'm going to need some white liberal voters in Chicago to take a long look in the mirror, take a breath and admit an uncomfortable fact. Your outrage over Jesse is wildly out of proportion with with the actual significance of what he did. And it's because you see him as an uppity N-word. Uh, Well, she didn't use the N-word, but anyway, I shouldn't say the word. Then she continues, Jesse got over on us. It sucks. It was bad. It's also not the most important criminal justice issue facing Chicago right now. It's not in the top five or the top 20. For instance, from 2011 to 2018, the city spent half a billion dollars on police misconduct. Now, that's city money uh, spent on these, uh, on paying out settlements in these lawsuits. But I just want to point out that these lawsuits get litigated in federal and state court as 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 soon as it's a state court issue the cook county state's attorney's office is involved any way you spin it taxpayer dollars county dollars are going to deal with these issues and these are big big issues then she continues the level of rage and spilled ink is really just not warranted but it's magnified by the deep-seated discomfort some white voters who otherwise claim to want criminal justice reform, feel spurred by the sense that they were tricked by this black man who must be punished. 
And she concludes by saying, if you claim to want a different system, to want to reform and change and an end to unjust policing and mass incarceration, but it's also deeply important to you, more important than anything else, that this man be drawn and quartered, you're talking out both sides of your mouth. Wow. And that about, you know what I mean? That about covers it. And I, and I just have to say that like in this never ending discussion about this Smollett gate thing, Mm -hmm. it's like Kim Fox, meanwhile, like, first of all, there it's what's lost while we're spending time and energy talking about that is holding her accountable for various promises and progressive reforms. She, you know, she, she said she would make you know, in a conversation around that where she's falling short maybe of some of the promises she's made and also paying attention to the things she has done that have been deliveries on progressive reforms. I mean, she's taken greater strides than any other state's attorney before her to deliver some kind of equity and and fairness uh, from from, uh, kind of racial justice perspective in the Cook County courts uh, than we've ever seen. This, these, this is like the first prosecutor Cook County has ever had, the first head prosecutor who's taking these issues really, really seriously. This is the first Cook County state's attorney we've had who didn't formulate their entire political identity around a tough on crime perspective. So I just, I, I wish like, you know, this is, my feeling about this is like, I suppose like the same as like, who is an Amy Klobuchar voter? Like, who <laughs> is out there? Where's this transition no, this going? Is, no, this is, hear me out. This is, this is yeah. a similar thing. It's like, I want to, like, do you know people who really genuinely feel ex- like passionate about the state's attorney's race and who are like the make or break issue is how she handled Jesse Smollett stuff. And people who actually care about these issues, who normally, you know, vote Democrat and are about, you know, may have supported Kim Fox the first time around, like, but who now are just like, I just can't, you know, I just can't cast a vote behind her because of how she handled Jesse Smollett. Find me a person like that. Mm-hmm. I would like to, I would, I would love to hear from a person like that, that really is like able to lay out their reasoning on this. Because to me, this seems like a lot of whipping up of already conservative, you know, uh, folks with a lot of kind of implicit and explicit racial biases to mobilize against this prosecutor who they have all kinds of problems with aside from this, from how she's handled this issue. But um, I don't know. I I just, I, I find the, the way that the uh, kind of case against her has been built to be like so unpersuasive on this issue. I mean, not to say that she did things correctly, not to say that she didn't make mistakes or make poor judgment calls or whatever, but like, this just, it's like, there are, there are like vastly more important things to be talking about, such as, for example, like how she's evaluating uh, m- m- promotions in her office now, like not basing that on the number of convictions secured by her assistant state's attorneys, but rather on how they handle these cases so that we don't have a system in which prosecutors are going into court day in and day out thinking about the people that they're prosecuting it as, as you know, pounds of flesh, like literally go read our former colleague, Steve Bogier's book, Courtroom 302, which describes the inner workings of the Cook County court system and, and talks about the, the attitudes of the prosecutors towards the people they have to, that, that they're putting on trial every day and that they're, that they're charging with crimes and the way that people basically spent decades in the system 
relating to folks charged with crimes as if they were just, you know, p- literally pounds of flesh. Like they would calculate their convictions by the weight of the defendant and then, you know, compared with one another h- how, how many pounds of people they prosecuted mm-hmm. successfully. Like this, this is like the level at which the system was operating for decades. Another great book, Nicole Gonzalez Van Cleve's Crook County, deep sociology of the culture of the court system of the pro she worked both for the prosecutor's office and the public defender's office she spent a tremendous time of amount of time in the courts with judges etc like this system is absolutely brutal and dehumanizing to people and we have a prosecutor now who for all her shortcomings is like taking the brutality of it seriously and 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 like she needs to be doing way more any prosecutor and anyone in her position needs to be doing way more to undo all of the horrible kind of ways that the system functions and has and has gotten used to functioning and and all the you know the culture amongst the staff and employees that have been used to it functioning in a certain way like there's so much more work left to do and literally the fact that people are just nonstop talking about this Jesse Smollett thing is just like it's it's unconscionable. Our good friend KMA Barry weighed in on the live stream. He says, I feel like uh, Kim Fox is the Hillary Clinton of Chicago. Would you agree? Disagree? Mm. I mean, it's the same people who are like, you know, completely. Wow. Like, I have to think about that. We're like, I, I'm not quite sure exactly the parallels between. Uh, I would assume like her emails and the whole Smollett thing, right? Uh, yeah, but, and see, the vitriol against her, like the same people who hate her with a fiery passion, are people who yeah. hate her Hillary, for sure. I'm not okay. Let I'm me not just, defending let me, Hillary. Let me divorce <laughs> my, because at the moment I, I've, I've, I'm evolved. I'm going in so many different places at once with Hillary Clinton because I agree. Uh, and now we're on a tangent here, but the way she was treated in the 2016 campaign was so over the top. Uh, and the vitriol against her is so over the top. And uh, voters who look me, tell me they hate Hillary Clinton is so outrageous compared. Why do you hate her as opposed to like her husband or Al Gore or anybody else? You know, why are uh, that? That said, her late, his, her latest behavior in regards to Bernie Sanders, I'm not feeling at all. So I got, I'm all over the map with Hillary Clinton. Uh, so that I'm, but yeah, it's it's some of the same groups, and there it it again when you have a woman uh, as your chief target, you got to wonder what's going on there. Uh, my only uh, this is the point I was going um, uh, to make to what you just said and what Eve Ewing t- tweeted. It's nitpicking. Um, the just the, the conversation about gate. the yeah. yeah. I agree with the, the 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 general points that you guys are both of you are making. You're absolutely correct, uh, and I do believe uh, that uh, uh, the, the the other candidates, Fioretti and Conway and Moore, are taking advantage of this, blowing this up out of proportion because they see this as their opportunity to win this election. So we all know what's going on. Um, I I don't know. Like when this is the part. This is the nitpicking. Like, is it in the top twenty issues? Um, well, it depends how you do. Do you do each police brutality case as an individual case? Do you follow what no, I'm saying? No, Ben, no, come on. No, but here's you know my point. What? Nobody who actually, whose life is affected directly by the criminal justice system, I, I can, can guarantee can I you that point? anybody in that position would not say this is right. in the tw- top 20 I, issues. I'm just saying that there is an issue, an important issue about the phone call 
And the way she responded to the phone call from Justice Millett's side of uh, his, I don't even know who it was that made the phone call. We still don't know. So as a believer in transparency and wanting to know all the facts, there's a lot of things that she's been derelict in. This is my view that she dropped the ball on. Uh, And starting with, she got a phone call. I don't know who called her. She's never revealed who called her. She called Eddie Johnson. This was at a time when it was kind of obvious that pretty much anybody looking at this case, that it was a made up case, and she asked that the case be moved. And I believe that is a flaw in the system, and she, she showed poor judgment there. Is it one of the top 20 things wrong with our system now? Is it a life or death? matter no you're so that's why i'm saying i agree with your major point but i'm not just gonna throw away all the things that sh- that reflect wrong bad behavior on her part or bad judgment on her part or uh, allowing somebody to have access to a system when 99 percent of the people wouldn't have it. that's all i'm saying okay that just makes her like every other politician that's ever fair occupied enough. an office in this county and city Fair enough. Fair enough. That doesn't make her any different yes. from any of these people. Fair enough. <laughs> I know. Fair enough. And as I said uh, earlier in the show, I, I would have loved to have seen this outrage when the Cook County State's Attorney uh, and the Chicago Police Department was essentially looking the other way as opposed to investigating Richard Daly's nephew, who actually murdered someone, killed somebody with a punch in a fight in, uh, uh, in the Gold Coast. Uh, about 10 years ago. It yeah, took... or Jason Van Dyke. <laughs> well, the I mean, reason I keep coming back to the Daily One is because it's a very similar, similar yeah. parallels. Uh, the, the state's attorney, powerful people having access and double standards, et cetera, and so forth. Uh, anyway, uh, the uh, just we should put those tweets on our, is our Facebook page or something. Yeah, retweet pretty... Eve. Yeah, retweet Eve. Very good. All right, what else is on your mind? Um well, so last night I went to um, the 1619 Project uh, Chicago Ideas Week event. Um, they sponsored uh, or co-hosted whatever an event um, dedicated to the 1619 Project, which if you haven't heard, this was a special issue of the New York Times Magazine that came out back in August that was conceived and curated uh, and edited by Nicole Hannon-Jones, who's a a staff writer at the New York Times Magazine and um, is is one of the kind of biggest uh, reporters in the game now in terms of covering um, the legacy of slavery and segregation and uh, and segregation in public schools and in housing, et cetera, et cetera. So... um, so this entire issue of of the magazine that came out in August was sort of premised on the idea that like this country did not begin in 1776 with the American Revolutionary War, that the real beginning of America is in 1619, which is when the first um, African enslaved people were brought uh, to these shores to to one of the uh, to, to one of the call to, to Virginia, which is like so. N- not to say there were already enslaved people in the Caribbean and in um, extensions of the Spanish Empire, basically. But this 1619 was when the first African enslaved people were brought into the English colonies here, the, which later became you know the United States. So the whole issue of the magazine is like dealing in various ways with the legacy of slavery and the that the uh, the 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 way that it still shapes uh, our life and uh, our economy, et cetera, et cetera. And the the event that I went to last night was like part of the kind of speaking 
tour that has been organized around this. Um, so Nicole Hannah Jones was there and various other um, uh, people who contributed essays to that issue of the magazine. And it was a very interesting conversation. There's been um, more recently, there was like some like three or four uh pretty prominent historians um, that came out criticizing the 1619 project, like the premise of it, which, because like one of the essays argues that uh, the Revolutionary War was also uh, kind of, that, that the, the issue of slavery was an important one in the, in the, in re the rebellion against England. Um, and the other really big controversial essay in there was from Matthew Desmond and the way that American capitalism is sort of fundamentally structured by um, its reliance on enslavement people and still kind of a, a main maintenance of a racial apartheid. So these historians came out and published this kind of critique of this of 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 the of the project and of these of of this way of interpreting history. But there have been there were like dozens of historians who were consulted and who uh, participated in this project too. So you know this is just kind of a a, a moment where you you have to. Uh, confront the fact that history is like a constantly malleable contested field uh, that it's not you know this is it's not like physics or chemistry or whatever where there are these like immutable ways of interpreting reality there's there's there, it's a constant conversation that that's evolving all the time so yeah the um, the talk and the the event yesterday was very interesting um, actually one of the um, uh, kind of central discussions was a panel between um, uh, that included Khalil Gibran Muhammad, who I didn't know was a graduate of Kenwood High School. Did you know that? I did He's not Chicago's know that. Chicago's very own, yeah. So, <laughs> I did not know that. Yeah. Um, it a lot, in, of, it a lot in, of people went to Kenwood. Yeah, and the... Um, Comedy people, I should say, yeah. Mm -hmm. Right, and the other person... So Nicole Hannah-Jones was on the panel. Um, uh, Linda Villarosa and, and Khalil Gibran Muhammad, and it was moderated um, by... Um, uh, uh, Deborah Douglas from um, from uh, Northeastern and uh, from DePaul, and so the conversation focused a lot on uh, the way that like medical science um, and gynecology in particular were developed f basically from experiments done on enslaved women without anesthesia, without like, uh, you know, without that, that there was this concept that uh, enslaved people did not feel pain the way that their enslavers mm. did. And so they talked a lot about how there's like foundational kind of elements in modern medicine that are still reliant on notions about um, black bodies versus white bodies that were formulated like in the 19th century and uh, which and, and research that was done in these fields that was like dependent on like torturing basically uh torturing enslaved people um and they also talked about uh from the economic side of things this was more um khalil jaron muhammad's part of the project where he talked about like sugar in particular and how sugar really gets overlooked uh as as the importance of sugar gets overlooked in the american context because we think about uh slavery and cotton being like um you know the intertwined things but sugar was actually like a much older and the the re, the original crop that that people were enslaved to to cultivate and it was an absolutely brutal process and um you know the average life expectancy of a person who worked on uh in 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 forced labor on sugar plantations was like 7 years so the volume of people that were that were brought from Africa and enslaved to work in in the sugar fields in Louisiana and in the Caribbean and in South America um 
like the the sh- the volume of people the reason that there was such a huge volume of people was because people were just it was like a meat grinder to work in the sugar plant in into the in the sugarcane fields so um yeah a lot of interesting um kind of conversations that captured a lot of the essays in the in the issue of the magazine are about and um then i thought in the end there was an interesting um kind of difficult question posed uh by uh, a member of the audience um who asked what would be like what policy intervention today like that nicole hannah jones would like say is like the most important thing which is of course such a like a huge question because it's like where do we start you know what i mean like all the ways in which like um racial apartheid still exists in america and segregation is still you know enforced in various ways like housing policy you know banking like i don't know transportation um education, like environmental issues, like all of this has like a, a, a racialized dimension to it. And so, but I thought Nicole Hannah Jones's answer was like very, uh, it was interesting how quickly she came up with the real totalizing um, kind of way of, of, of responding to the question. And it was basically reparations. Like John Conyers had for decades been trying to introduce a bill that was asking the U.S. House of Representatives to examine the issue mm-hmm. of reparations, yeah. to study the question of reparations. And of course, Conyers is gone now, but um, she basically said, then this was her quote, call your congressman and say it's about damn time in this 400th year that we can at least study the issue of what is owed for what was done. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, I feel like the, the the conversation around reparations, I mean, it's always been... Uh, it's it's much less marginal now than I think it was even like let's say ten years ago for sure. It's, it feels like it's entered into popular consciousness in a really big way, particularly after um, Tanahasi Coates's uh, famous uh, Atlantic Magazine article that came out in like 2014 around this. So I feel like it's you know it's definitely much more on the forefront of of like a national debate than it used to be. But I still I think it's interesting um, that she just very eloquently and directly said like call your congressperson well, one <laughs> one of the themes that uh, coach raised in that article that you're uh, and it was a lot of it uh, delved into the issue of black homeowners or property owners want to be property owners mm-hmm. on the west side of chicago mm-hmm. and uh in the 50s and the 60s one of the issues that he raised was uh, the lack of access uh, to credit uh, that black people in this country had in the 50s and 60s and into the 70s and how that uh, really uh, was a damaging, to put it mildly, uh, to them. And uh, it's led to just the whole, part of the reason why we have segregation, part of the reason why we have the economic deprivation, part of the reason why we have slums in the city and, and it's perpetuated all these ills. It was lack of access to credit, lack of access to capital. And that gets to the heart of the reparations issue. Yeah, and I wanna, uh, if people are interested to understand the scope of the problem more, I just wanna point them in the direction of an article that um, Natalie Moore, WBZ, did back in May of last year that uh, black families in Chicago lost between three, just in Chicago, yeah. lost between three and four billion dollars mm. of of wealth, essentially, due to 
redlining, discrimination in the housing market, and contract selling, which is what uh, Tanahasi Coast is 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 describing in in this article. Is this process by which um, the government decided that black neighborhoods were not safe places for banks to lend money. Uh, banks did not lend money to black home buyers to buy homes in black neighborhoods, and instead, these predatory companies, you know, took up the space um, and and they would sell homes on contract to people. So you think that you're paying a down payment and entering into a mortgage agreement with a financial institution, but in fact, what you're signing up for is you're making payments and you're not creating any equity. Right. You're not creating any wealth. So if you miss a payment, you're, you, you, lose can, you lose the house, you get evicted, you have no access to a foreclosure process, you have no access to equity. And so lots and lots of people were bamboozled in this way. This was the only way people could buy a house. So even if they knew they were getting into this, this was the only way you yeah. could buy a house in the black community on the south and west sides. And it's exactly, I mean, this kind of th- scheme has existed for a really long time. I mean, um, Upton Sinclair in the Jungle describes this Lithuanian community, you know, in back of the yards, being preyed on in this exact same way of contract selling of houses. So, um, and the thing about this practice is like there was a, you know, this, what Tanahasi Coates describes is this process by which the Contract Buyers League um, organized and fought against these practices. And some people were able to avoid evictions and stay in their homes, et cetera. But like this practice hasn't gone away. And in the wake of the latest financial crisis back in 2008, it reemerged in Chicago, and our the reader did a story about this a couple of years ago. Rebecca Burns wrote a story about how contract selling is back on the West Side, and she interviewed people in 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 Austin who were being you know preyed on in this way, like. Wall Street companies were coming in, buying up these foreclosed houses for pennies on the dollar, and then selling them to people, basically saying, like, you you can buy this house for very cheap, you take on all the cost of, you know, fixing it up, etc. But in fact, people were making payments to what they thought was a mortgage, and instead, it was just a contract that didn't create any equity for them. So, it's... Um, I think there's been some movement in the state legislature now as a result of, of, of this reader story that now contract for deed sales like that have to be um, recorded. Mm-hmm. So there's some you know data created about where this is happening. Um, it's still not illegal to sell houses in this way, but before there weren't, it wouldn't even, there wouldn't even be any reflection in the deed records that this is how the mm-hmm. property was transferred. So all right, very good. Our next guest, uh, Mark Sims, has arrived. He's apparently hiding in the hallway. Is that correct? <laughs> That's what he likes to do. He likes yeah. to come in during the break. He didn't want to. He didn't yeah, want to be rude. I, I know. I mean, well, whatever. Anyway, uh, all right. Mark Sims is uh, in the hallway. Did he bring any food? Uh, you better believe it. <laughs> uh, Maya, two questions. Where can people find or follow you? Uh, on Twitter at m d o u k m a s. Okay. Okay. And uh, on the Chicago Reader website, of course, and also at the Hideout next week. Tuesday, first Tuesdays, 6.30 p.m., 13.54. West Wabonsi. 13.54, West Wabonsi. I don't know yeah. why we keep saying the address. Everybody can Google where it is if they don't know where the hideout is. I don't know. It's just fun. Yeah. <laughs> 6.30. Uh, and I've memorized it. It's the one thing I've memorized. <laughs> it's Carlos Ramirez Rosa debating Brandon against Brandon Johnson. Brandon Johnson. One's Warren, one's Bernie. Find out what happens Mine on and Tuesday. I got to figure out how we're going to uh, handle this, is, this thing. This will not be a Jerry Springer showdown. Oh, that's not what Brandon Johnson says. Or will it? <laughs> <laughs> there it is. Oh, my God. Brandon Johnson says. And, uh, uh, and we're taking a poll here. Uh, I know it's kind of random, but we did this earlier in the show. Oh. What's your uh, favorite bagel flavor? 
Wow, I feel attacked. No, <laughs> uh, Ben says just plain I, bagels. I, yeah, I like sesame seed. Sesame seed. Yeah. All right, we're, yeah. we're doing a poll here. Uh, live stream chats weighing in as well. A lot All of right. cinnamon raisin fans yeah, out there. I love cinnamon sesame. raisin. I love right. cinnamon raisin. There's no catch to this, by the yeah, way. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. There's no catch. It's like I don't know. I feel like the everything everything bagel people like they'll they'll find me. Like I'm need to, I'm gonna need They're to move. Well, that's you. me. I'm a little upset, but I'm moving on. <laughs> All right, uh, we got Mark Sims on deck. We're gonna bring him on. I did not get a chance to ask you about the reporter at the Washington Post who's chastised. I'll throw that question at Mark Sims. He's looking like, what? Didn't even know about it. I mean, as a woman sitting in this space, I can just say that this was, I'm I'm shocked to see that this is what an institution of such repute is doing to one of their reporters. I mean, quite aside from how un, un, lacking in class it was to tweet that for her, Whatever that conversation may be, the fact that the response is is getting rid of this person that's suspended. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like, yeah, truly, truly shocking. I'm with you 100. percent And I say that as a guy who still is not over the accident. It's just every yeah choke makes me choke up whenever I think about it. But uh, come on, uh, Marty Bear in Washington Post, you got to be bigger than that. All right, uh, Maya, thank you so much. The the legendary Mark Sims is on deck. We'll bring him on when we return. Thank you, Illinois. Hey, everybody. What you're about to hear are the piano stylings of Jeff Manuel. Man, listen to Jeff go. Jeff Manuel has been playing piano around Chicago for years. He's played for conventions, for celebrities, played in basement bars with blues bands. He's played at prestigious social clubs, fine restaurants, and in the intimacy of private homes. Book Jeff Manuel at jeffemanuelpianist.com. Don't worry, I'll spell his name at the end of this commercial. You know what Chicago Magazine said? They said that Jeff Manuel is, quote, as comfortable with Chopin as he is with Cole Porter. He's excellent, and his performance is joyous. He offers an elegant stream of compositions and interpretations that entertains the mind but won't hurt the ears. To hear more of Jeff Manuel's work and to book Jeff for your next event, go to jeffmanuelpianist.com. I'm going to spell it out for you, people. J-E-F-F. M as in Mary, A, N as in Nancy, U-E-L-P-I-A-N-I-S-T dot com. Take it away, Jeff Manuel. It's Chicagoland's adult entertainment playground. It's the world-famous Admiral Theater, 3940 West Lawrence Avenue. The Admiral is homegrown from Chicago, and it's the most conveniently located club in all of the city. 15 minutes from the O'Hare Airport in downtown Chicago Loop. Voted Chicago's best strip club, the Admiral has showgirls galore and a variety of adult entertainment shows. The world-famous Admiral Theater, open every day from 7 p.m. to 6 a.m., 3940 West Lawrence Avenue. For events, showtime, and other information, visit AdmiralX.com. Must be 18 years of age or older to enter. But what upsets me the most is the unequal justice involved here. You know, I have a client, Candace Clark, who was charged with filing a false police report around the same time as, as Mr. Smollett, and not nearly as egregious a set of facts as his. And we go to court every month. Uh, she visits a probation officer every month. She has to maintain a job. If she doesn't, she has to do community service. 
She has to be enrolled in GED classes. If she wants to leave Cook County, we have to go to court and get permission of a judge to do that. And the, and the fact of the matter is, the reason my client got one deal and Mr. Smollett got another is because he's politically connected, and that's not right. Ms. Respectfully, I, without having to speak to his client, and I'm assuming that he got her permission to talk about it, um, Mr. Conway is leaving out his client's background, which would suggest why she was given the conditions that she was given. My client has no back, has, has never the had any contact with the criminal the justice system. of this case and how this case, his client's case, could have been resolved outside of the criminal justice system totally. I of course asked for 16 in. hours of community service for this for my client, and that was and that was denied by your office because I, you gave unequal justice to my client, and your, that's not right. Your client had an opportunity to not have her case come into the criminal justice system at all before you got involved, Mr. Conway, and I'm sure you know that. I, that's not the case. This, I mean, you charge my client with what you charge my client because you your gave, client chose you not gave, to participate in a. Your client and I asked chose my client not to get to 16 hours of community service, and you and your office did not allow that, Ms. even though it's not. Okay, Mr. Conway, thank you. While I, I both major points. Thank oh. you, Ms. Moore. Ben, stop talking about movies. We got a show to do. <laughs>